0: Welcome to Redemption from Addiction podcast. This podcast is a Christian ministry aimed at helping people overcome their addiction by sharing personal testimonies about their journey. The testimonies shared have a common theme and that is how Jesus Christ touched their lives and walked them through the entire process and is still walking with them today. I hope that you will be touched by these stories and you'll take the next step and invite Jesus into your life and let him redeem you from the strongholds of addiction. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, So today I've got a uh, very uh, exciting guest with me, Uh, someone that even before I got the podcast launched, I had in mind to uh, get his testimony and his name is Mike Thornton. Mike has been through a, just a powerful journey of learning about his own addiction uh, to substances, but then being redeemed from that, um, going through recovery and now in the ministry, how, how many years have you been in the ministry, Mike?
1: I've been serving pretty much full time in ministry about 17 years.
0: Wow. So Mike's been in the ministry 17 years, um, has got a powerful testimony about uh, substance addiction. But before we before we started recording, we were talking about the, some additional things that the Lord has shown him about addiction, about how, how our bodies and our brains have been are wired. To have this desire and this need for whether it's substances, whether it's um, the need for people pleasing, um, and we're we're going to get into to some of those topics today. So, um, Mike, we're, we'll spend a little bit of time that we have starting off talking about your childhood, your upbringing, your uh, just a little bit about your background, family dynamics, and things like that. So. Introduce yourself a little bit and then, then we'll kick it off into your childhood experience.
1: Awesome, man. Thank you, Matthew. I'm excited to be here. Um, a little bit about me. Uh, my name is Michael Thornton. Uh, I'm actually 40 years old this year. So excited. It's a really powerful biblical number in the Bible, but i um, 40. My wife is Amber. We have been married 14 years and we've been blessed with five kids. Wow. That's what I said. <laughs> wow! I keep saying that. Wow. Um, we we have five kids. We have four daughters, one son. Uh, we have been taking the Genesis mandate of being fruitful and multiplying literal. Um, after our fifth kid, I told Amber, I, I really feel like I understand how this is happening it's because we keep eating chips and salsa at the Mexican restaurant after church. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But, um, queso dip, queso dip, stay away from it. Yes. I, I, uh, I've been, I'm a really blessed man though. And, uh, our quiver is full. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, our our house is lively. It's popping. Um, but I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would be married, much less a dad of, of five kids. So that's been huge. Um, I work and, and serve at, uh, Bridgeway church specifically, uh, we have a three year discipleship school called ascent and I help serve as a director of that school. Uh, we, we have an online on-campus program, coaches and teachers, wonderful, wonderful, um, expression of ministry here. Uh, my wife also works here at the church. Uh, so we kind of do many things together. Uh, but that's basically a little bit about, about us. Um, Let's kick back off childhood. So um, I was, born, so um, I was uh, born in North Carolina. So was I. Were you born North yeah. Carolina? What part were you born?
0: I grew up in Kinston, not far from Jacksonville.
1: Matthew, are you serious? <laughs> I did. Are you? Are, I stayed in jail in Kinston. Did you know that?
0: No, I, I got, do now.
1: <laughs> I got locked up when I was in addiction, and I actually spent a month in county jail in Lenore County. One month. Wow. Yep. In that jail. What year was this? Oh, Lord. This would have been like... Oh uh, 2000 1999, 2000 yeah. somewhere in there
0: Yeah Well, we're the same age. If you're 40 yep I'm well, I'm 39 I'll be 40 in a few months so wow. not far off from age but yeah Look I grew up that. in Kenston I stayed there until 26. So.
1: Wow. were you in the party scene at that time? Oh yeah okay, so then you probably went to Greenville a few times being from at, Kenston.
0: Yeah at ECU. oh I mean, my goodness Party city.
1: Yep, that's yeah, what man. that's what happened. We did a lot of a uh, lot of travels to Greenville from Jacksonville, and um, I did. I got caught uh, stealing out of a store, larceny. Went to jail for thirty days in Kinston. It was, I've been locked up several times, but that jail was the worst. That was worse than prison.
0: Yeah, yeah. probably still is. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you, God, for redemption.
0: <laughs> no doubt. So your childhood with, uh, you know, growing up, well, parents. I, I know you had a mm. uh, just what well, a little bit. I know you had you got great parents. I've met them before, so. Um, not, not a whole lot to cover there, but it, anything from that period of time that stands out as far as like, I know you had some influences as you got later on in the high school and things like that, that started your curiosity. You started dabbling in some, uh, marijuana and then it transitioned into what, yes. what next?
1: Um, at that, in my younger years, uh, growing up, I, I grew up in church. Yeah. Mom and dad had me going to church and I really had a heart for God. It was that that high school age is when I started really drifting. And, um, you know, I got introduced to smoking weed by somebody. Ironically, I met in the church youth group. <laughs> he invited me over to his house. You know, I was new in the area and uh, he whips out a joint. And um, and that's how I first got high was somebody I met in church. But, you know, as you get older, Matthew, and you know this, you, you start to reflect A lot. And and sometimes you just reflect over your life. And I have spent a lot of time in the last year or two reflecting over that time span of my life with the lens of addiction. Mm -hmm. And as I learned, I, I begin to wonder a lot of times I thought that day I first smoked that joint is the open door that got me to addiction. Well, yes, but I've learned it's only half of the coin. There's another half to the coin That now that I'm older, I understand addiction a little bit better, how it works. And addiction for me really started when I was 12 years old Mm -hmm. playing baseball. And I'll tell you why. I love sports. I love playing ball. And when I was 12 years old, I got drafted to play on a really awesome Little League team. Mm -hmm. I mean, this team went, the coach took the team uh, one game within the Little League World Series one year. Wow. Really, really all-star team. Were you a pitcher? Or what, what I was position? a first baseman. Okay, because you're a big guy. I'm a big guy. I played yeah. first base, but I was, I was I was pretty good at the bat. Yeah, so I had some really good home runs and batting average. Um, but to play on that level of team, it required you know you you had to be impressive. Well, with that came a lot of acceptance, approval cheering from teammates in the coach
0: did you feel any pressure from expectation to perform oh yes or, or, or do you just yes you? okay yes
1: i so did and and for me it was linked to my teammates the most okay um and, so it
0: was a competitive more oh, uh, driven thing
1: absolutely matthew And that what i learned looking back is i became even addicted to that I could I see where I'm not saying sports are bad. I love sports, but I could see even in my own insecurity at 12 years old, there was a switch that went on because I believe we all have this ache in our soul mm-hmm. of, of who we are, that approval, that acceptance. And I began to find it in those guys I played ball with. And, and that set me on course. So back to when I first smoked my joint, I knew in that moment smoking weed was wrong. I've been taught that I grew up in church so it wasn't that, you know, I, I knew the joint was wrong. It was, I didn't have the strength to tell my friend no, mm-hmm. because I wanted his approval. Mm. I didn't care about the joint's approval. I wanted his approval. Right. That's when it began to tie into me. Wow. Addiction is really deep.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, this is the uh, high school years. You, uh, you transition into, do you go to college anywhere?
1: No, I, I finished high school and then I became a, telemarketer for like a a third, three months that didn't last long.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but you, you had this exposure to, to drugs, uh, and then what was your next steps? I know, I know you spent some time in the military. Mm -hmm. Now, did your addiction start to form before you entered the military or?
1: Good question. Okay. Um, so I went the fast track. So when I started smoking weed that day, within six months, I was doing cocaine Within, I was 18 years old, I graduated high school, I had already started smoking crack. So I've been using meth, crack, uh, at the experimental stage, you know, the social fun stage. We're at the party, it's weekends, but I am participating in hardcore drugs. I realize I'm starting to lose a grip of myself around around that age, around my early 20s. I graduate high school, I'm, I'm working construction, and it's me and a guy, and we're, it's party central. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized then that, okay, this isn't fun anymore. I actually can't stop. That's what led me to go to the military. I, I knew that I had to change my life. And the only way I could kind of stop using and get, get back hold of my life is if I went in the military.
0: So when you initially made the decision to go into the military, was your mindset that, okay, I'm going to get in the military and I'm going to get away from my familiarity with mm. drugs and everything? Was that what you had hoped to do?
1: Absolutely. That was my number one reason why. Uh-huh. My number one reason why I joined the military was I wanted to get out of the town mm-hmm. that I was in. And my thought was, if I can get out of the environment, get out of the town, sure. I can start my life over. I can be strong enough to start my life over. That's what led me to go into the Marines.
0: But you you didn't get out of your hometown.
1: I didn't because as fate or let's say the Lord would have it, I, I... I Go and join the Marine Corps, but the town I come from has a big Marine Corps base. So after I'm done boot camp, and they can send you all over the world, your orders could be in Hawaii, Arkansas. My orders went back to Jacksonville, my hometown, where I was stationed from. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I joined the military to get away from this town. And now I'm being sent there for the next four years. And it made me cringe because deep down, I knew, I knew I would see those old friends again.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so take take me through that that period of time mm. um, in the military where you kind of I'm I'm asking the question where you kind of wearing the mask, you know, I'm um, I'm gonna hold down my responsibilities as a as a soldier in the Marine Corps, and then you you got but you got another life that you're you're living at the same time, right?
1: Absolutely. So you know you you you're randomly drug testing the military. So I know that hardcore drugs, weed, cocaine, cracks, gonna be out. Yeah. So like what happens in addiction we substitute one for another. There's actually a term called polyaddiction. And that's when we we remove one addiction but we actually end up doing another. So I gravitated to alcohol. So I'm not going to do these illegal drugs, so I'm going to get I'm going to get trashed in alcohol because I could do that I'm over 21. So in the Marine Corps I became a hardcore alcoholic which looked like basically a fifth of the liquor a day, 5 days a week. Wow. I drink a fifth of Jim Beam white label every day, every day. I'd have a, a fifth of liquor um, for five or six days a week. Now, when I was in the Marines, I could, you know, I, I hid the drug thing, but I was also stationed like in Japan and other places where I didn't have access to my friends. Mm-hmm. But when I did return home, it's, it wasn't, it was a matter of time. Then my old friends started hanging around who sold drugs and then they introduced me into An opportunity to make money and use drugs, because I was the only guy that was local in the Marines who could actually sell drugs to other Marines, and Mm -hmm. I could take that money and and get high. And that's the trap I ended up falling into.
0: Wow! So during during this time, kind of take me through the stages of when you hit rock bottom. You know, Mm -hmm. should I say you know you reached a point where a decision had to be made, or a decision was being made for you? I mean, did you get in trouble? With the Marine Corps, did they ever catch you? I mean, how how did that all play out?
1: So, when I realized I could sell drugs to my fellow Marines, and there was kind of a a racket in it, that's what I did, and in that process, I got hooked hard, and it was crack. Mm -hmm. For me, that was my number one drug of choice, and I had did heroin, I've done meth, pills, mushrooms, acid, like, all those things multiple times but for some reason crack did it for me Mm -hmm. and i became desperately i don't even know the right word blindly hooked to crack as a marine at that time and that's what really led me to the worst the low of the lows and i had a guy actually take my drug test for me so i could pass
0: so you you had also you're manipulating. Oh,
1: I was the highest manipulator. Man, I, had, I had a racket going on. I mean, think about it. I'm selling dope to Marines and I got other Marines taking my P test, making money. I'm taking that money as profit and funding my own high, but it got so out of hand and I ingested so much in me. Cause you know how addiction is. You just can't stop. The more, the more you do, the more you want always chasing that next best hit. So what that ended up for me doing was, I began not to sleep at all. I would stay up on two and three day binges. People around me are like, man, you're sick. Something's really wrong with you. So the guy I had taken my drug test for me said, look, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. You're on your own. You're, You're lost it. You're gonna kill yourself. I don't want any part of this. And at that level, I was so rebellious. I didn't care. I I, I didn't care if I got caught. I I was just tired of wearing the mask. I was two different lives in the Marines. My sergeants, people had an understanding. They knew they could never catch me. And one weekend I went out, Matthew, this is the low point. I did every drug you can imagine in excess. And I was actually stationed in Jacksonville, North Carolina, with a deployment to go to Iraq. This is in 2004 when we are at war with Iraq. I was in infantry. Infantry goes first. My unit was scheduled to go fight infantry at the war, and I am on liberty, which means I'm, I'm on the vacation of when I get back. We're leaving to Iraq, so I'm doing this party bench. Well, first sergeant calls me in an office. Says, "You have, you forgot to sign some last minute paperwork." It was a it was a sham. They they got my results from my drug test in, and that was the only thing they could bring me in. So when I when I went in, first sergeant arrested me and put me in prison and basically said, Michael, Lynn Bias was the University of Maryland basketball player in real life college in 1980s. He he overdosed of cocaine, died. The military, the United States military, has found twice of the cocaine in your system that was in Lynn Bias's system. Wow. You should be clinically dead. You read me my rights. They sent me to prison and then they transferred me from prison to the psych ward. Cause I had so much dope in my system. They thought I was trying to kill myself. So they wanted to treat me for suicide first before they released me back into prison. And that's like, okay, everything's crashing down now. Mm. I mean, that's the low of the lows. I get out of there though. Um, and long story short, My parents, my dad, my sister make an emergency trip. They plead mercy on the colonel's desk of he has an addiction problem. He's a good guy. Is there any way we could let him out? He can do a treatment. And they made a deal. They said, we're going to give you a other than honorable discharge out of the military and release you from prison. But you're done. We're discharging you negatively. You're, You're done. Or you could stay in here for another year and finish your sentence. So obviously I opted out and I chose to be negatively discharged so I could get out of prison. Did that, got out of prison. Now I have a record. No one wants anybody that's been negatively discharged from the military. At this point in my life, I've been locked up about seven times in jail. I have a record and now I'm homeless. Nowhere to go. I move in with a crack dealer and I basically become a sexual prostitute toy four crack dealers in the town I lived in.
0: So coming out of the site ward other than honorable discharge from the military prison wasn't enough at that point to Mm-mm. make a change and you you go right back into probably the worst place that you could have gone yeah worst decision to make but it was comfortable for you.
1: <laughs> yes
0: so you' now you're living with a uh, your, your crack dealer and now now you're close to rock bottom. Yeah. What happens then?
1: I am at rock bottom. You know, an addiction is so hard. You, you just don't even know what reality is anymore when you go that deep. Yeah, I'm up four days in a row. I'm running crack for a dealer. He feeds me dope like a junkyard dog. You know, it's just enough to, to stay high, do all the favors he asks, And I mean, that was it. So about several months of living like that, in that, in that space, I was like, I just can't do this anymore. So my drug dealer fell asleep one night, took a lot of pills, Xanax pills. And my bright idea was I'm going to rob him. I know where he keeps his dope stash. I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to leave. So that's what I did. Robbed him, took the dope. My crack dealer, I mean a notorious crack dealer, got in the car and left, but like a Smart man I was. I started using on the road. Couldn't resist it. And now I'm all messed up in my head. I'm pulling over at his friend's house. We're using, getting high. Next thing I know, the crack dealer's coming in in a cab with a baseball bat and a gun. Wow. Destroys my vehicle. Gets me into a car. Takes me forcefully back. And has several guys with him and just says, here's the phone. You have 60 minutes to get my money or you're going to die right now, tonight. Wow. And that's... That was my wake up call. That was like, Oh crap. I am about to die. Like this isn't a game anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, This isn't, I can finagle my way out. I can't rationalize. I can't addicts are the best rationalizers and justifiers. There's, there's nothing I can do to get out of this one. You
0: have a gun to your head.
1: Yes. Right there on the coffee table. He's put it down right there. He said, you're going to die tonight. I robbed him $400. I only could call two people. That was my mom and dad. At this point, I robbed from them. I broke into their house and talked to them. We had a really terrible relationship. Call my mom. My mom says, I'm tired. This is what she says. I'm tired of it. Michael, don't call my house. I don't care. I hope he cuts your throat. Hope he buries you six feet deep. I'm done. Click. Wow. My mom, and my mom loves me, but I have put her to that, to that point over 10 years. Now it's really hit me. And I'm thinking, I, literally, I'm about to die. I'll call the house again. My dad answers. I pleaded with my dad. I begged my dad. And he said, on one condition, I'll help you on one condition. That is, you have to go to a rehab center. You have to do something. And so I agreed. And like, like out of a movie, Matthew, they organize a ransom spot. They take me to a gas station. They meet my dad. My dad gives an envelope of money. They turn me over to my dad. Wow. And I know I could start crying right. now. And then within 24 hours, I find myself with a trash bag of dirty clothes, a worn out from my arrest, thrown out of the military, homeless, no one. I've alienated every relationship. And I'm on a dirt path at a rehab center in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina. And I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And little did I know, God had been orchestrating everything up to that moment. He's good. Isn't he yeah. You know, I felt like sometimes if he just pulls the veil back just to see how close we were yeah. to losing everything. And when I hit the dirt road that day, I was like, man, I walked in that office. I share this. This is unbelievable. I walked into the office. This was a life-changing moment for me. And I sat in the desk in front of the the office manager of the rehab center. And they had a policy, Matthew. They said, you know, for for 72 hours, you cannot use to get a bed here. Mm -hmm. So when my dad dropped me off and he dropped me off and spun tires, he's like, I'm done. I got you here. Bam, gone. And I sat in that man's office. His name was David Hill. And David Hill looked at me and he said, Michael, I'm going to ask you one question. He said, have you used in the last 72 hours? Now, real life, I'm still high on crack. I'm coming off a binge. Like three hours ago, I took my last hit. And I look at David and because as an addict, we're just used to lying. It's natural. So as I'm getting ready to lie to him and say, no, I've not been using. He stops me. He goes, stop. Stop. He goes, Michael, have you been using in the last 72 hours? And he said, think about what you're going to say. He said, because if you lie to me, I am not letting you in this program. You've lied your whole life. He said, you've lied your whole life. He said, right now you have an opportunity to tell the truth and be honest. It's what what recovery really looks like. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you again, have you used in the last seventy-two hours? And I said, yes. And I was honest. And I told him, he said, Michael, because you were honest with me, he said, I'm going to let you into this program. And I look back at that, Matthew. Maybe my five kids wouldn't have been born mm-hmm. if I, if I would have lied in that moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. I want to back up too and Ooh. just honor your dad. Because the the testimony that you have through your recovery um, had had he not been urged to to answer the phone and and have grace and mercy on you
1: Matthew listen to this miracle story of that night the night that I came home with my dad that when when the drug that ransomed that whole thing on the other side of this my dad up until the night before I came home, and he ransomed me out, <laughs> he was so distraught. Now, my dad ministers as a minister in in the county jail in Jacksonville. Has done it for twenty years. His whole ministry has been on kids and drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. So, me, his own son, is, is unbelievable. That night, he was so distraught he couldn't go minister at the jail. Mm-hmm. So he goes to a little country church right down the road from the house. Hadn't been there in years. Just in the back row, just sits there. He's he's really discouraged about me. There's a guest speaker that night, this old guy, and he starts to speak and he goes, folks, I'm sorry, but God's speaking to me. And he said, I got to change my message. And he said, the Lord is telling me right now in this moment to preach on the prodigal son. And he looked at my dad, don't know my dad from Adam in the back row. And he said, sir, can you stand up? He said, I don't know who you are, but God has spoken to me. And I'm to preach this message because you have a prodigal son, but he will come home wow. tonight. Amen. That's, that is the truth. And I, I actually, the whole ransom thing happened that next day. Yep.
0: And God, when God's spirit moves like that, <sighs> it, it's undeniable. Mm. It's undeniable that his, 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 just his entire existence of who <sighs> he is, is just, is there. And yeah. it's just as a, if nothing else, but a confirmation. But what you know, and what I wanted to say is your dad, he he displayed to you the love of
1: of a father. Yeah. Ooh.
0: Yeah. Because I think about that verse in the Bible where it says. Just as any good father would do. If you ask, wow. And I speak to to that Mm. from a place of my own dad. You know that he just in, in. and raising me, um, and I lost my mom when, when I was young, mm. but he did such a great job, you know, and, um, he, he married a few years later. And i I want to give honor to my stepmother too, because they both did a, just a, a great job. Wow. And, you know, loving me and teaching me the right way. But, um, when you share that about your, um, about that. That event that happened to you when you when you called out, it just reminds me of, of how God's love is for us in that same way. Mm. And I've I've had so many examples of people in my life, in my own life, where God shows His love in in mm. in, in the examples of the people that He puts in in our path. Yeah, from your dad, from the guy that that uh force you to to tell the truth in in the recovery you know through through all all those people that, mm. that brought you to that point you know so now you're uh you're you're in recovery or you're uh I'm sorry we left off at the yes. um at the, program. at the program and uh the guy was speaking about the prodigal son and and highlighted your dad or the holy spirit highlighted your dad to him yes and it was confirmation for you that it was a a divine meeting.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's it is, I, and in that moment, I didn't know what was going on. Me and my dad have obviously talked about this later when we pieced everything together. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's that that moment I went into the program. It was life changing, and um, it wasn't long after that that I literally I had a Damascus Road encounter. I know not that doesn't happen to everybody, but for some reason or another, it happened to me. And that Damascus road looked like there was a day not long after that where I literally broke and I wept so hard because I heard the Lord for myself speak to me so clear and said, Michael, I love you so much. I have always loved you. You have no Mm -hmm. idea how much I love you, even in the midst of all of that pain and brokenness. And it just did something to my soul. It did something to my soul. That's, that is when my true full conversion moment, that's when I, I knew in my nowhere, God is mm-hmm. real. Jesus is real. And not only is he real, he is literally touching me mm-hmm. and I'm coming alive. Like I, I don't even know if I want drugs anymore. You know, like you, I just, it's like the cravings begin to just dissipate and be released from me because I'm encountering Jesus. I'm I'm actually... My heart is being softened and broken, connected to, to the one who made everything.
0: Mm -hmm. So what, what step forward did you have to take to, to hear God, God tell you that? Mm -hmm. What, what, what was that like?
1: So I, I really, I can't stress this enough. That's why I wanted to share that. um, What David said to me going in, I told the truth that, that honesty gave God an opportunity To put grace on my life in that rehab center. Yep. He told me, he said, when I was honest, when I actually was honest about where I was, it allowed him. And I I feel like that's how it works. A lot of times, God wants to bless our life. He wants to pour out his love over us.
0: Obedience is better than sacrifice.
1: (laughs) Yes. But we have to give him an opportunity. And so that day, my honesty gave him an opportunity to encounter Jesus the way I did. And I, I think that's a massive step. Number one
0: mm-hmm.
1: is to be honest and vulnerable where, where you are. I mm-hmm. mean, in, in addiction recovery language, we call it acceptance.
0: Um, something the Lord's really been highlighting to me lately is just uh, being, staying in a posture of humility. Mm-hmm. You know, I think humbleness is uh is a prerequisite sure. for, for growth. You mm-hmm. know, and I shared this with, uh, a podcast I did on Saturday with Brandon and I told Brandon the same thing. I said, what comes to mind for me is humility is like the, the parable Jesus shared about scattering the seed. Some of the seed fell on the hard rock. Mm-hmm. Well, addiction and substance, you know, they harden you. It's like that hardened soil where yes. they, God can't get in there and do anything with that. Uh, but humility is that that softening that comes in that fertile ground that when you throw the seed in it, that it'll, it'll start producing a harvest.
1: That's so true.
0: So you've, um, you got in recovery. How long did you spend in, in rehab?
1: That program was a six month intensive on campus. Yeah. And then, then if you made six months, you you graduated phase one phase two was when you left, you would return once a month for 12 months. They had like an alumni status weekend thing. And so if you did that for 12 months, then you would complete phase two, which was the whole program. So overall 18 months, six months on campus, the next 12 uh, coming back. So that was that was the full time. In that process is where I really begin to discover, oh wow, not only is God real, he has a plan for my life.
0: Mm-hmm. So talk about that a little bit. At what point were you, were you called into the ministry?
1: Mm-hmm. This is unbelievable. So my dad came and my mom on a visitation one weekend Mm -hmm. and um, they said, Hey, my dad said, Hey, uh, this pastor that I know of, he's been thinking about you and they've been praying for you. And the Lord told him to, to give you this book. And so my dad had a book and he gave me the book and he goes, you're supposed to read it. And it was a Bible college catalog (laughs) for a local Bible. It was just a catalog for their like year calendar. (laughs) And I opened it up. And it began to dawn on me, God, are are you saying that you want me to go to Bible college? Is this is is what you're saying? And internally, I just knew it as my next step. And I really felt like God was calling me to go to this school. He confirmed it uh, through a Bible verse I was reading one night at my desk. And um, I just remember thinking like, this is this is this is where God wants me to go. And then I was just stirred with faith and with hope. The Bible college was only an hour away from where our rehab was. So um, I connected with my dad. He uh, set up a meeting and we went to the school on a, on a visitation day. I'm still in the rehab center Mm -hmm. and we go on a visit. I have a free day and he takes me up to the Bible college to how God works. This is unbelievable. Matthew, we get to the school that day and we're just going to like look around the campus. It's a Friday morning. We walk into the library There's a gentleman at the desk, a student, a computer, older guy. He goes like this. He's on his computer and he leans over and he looks at my dad. My dad's name is Richard. He goes, Richard? (laughs) And my dad goes, and they know each other. Mm -hmm. Are you ready for this? My dad led this guy to the Lord at a homeless mission five years ago in Jacksonville. North Carolina. And the guy, he lost contact with him, ended up getting saved, discipled. And then a student at this Bible college happened to be in the library that morning when my dad and me walk in. Wow. There's no lie. That is the, God's on the street. I was like, we, we just, we both knew like, Oh my God, the God is here. He's in this. This is, this is my next step. <laughs> and that's, that's when I really begin to know Matthew, like, all right, you're calling. This is like my life, like ministry, being a voice, helping people, whatever all that's going to look like, this is what you're calling me to.
0: So at that point in time in your life, or where would you say your your relationship with God was? Were you would, I know you have just a, a real thirst and hunger for him now. Mm-hmm. Where was that on a, say, a scale of one to 10 at that moment?
1: I'm going to put it in one word. It was fire. Mm-hmm. It was fire. I don't, for, I don't know why. I guess we're all different. Yeah from the moment he awakened me, um, in that, in that place, I couldn't stop like, oh, spending time with him day in and day out. I was on fire. I prayed. I prayed loud. They, the whole campus, they, they hear me 40 acres away in the woods. They thought a man was dying. I'm just, they're like, you sound like John the Baptist out there. I just, was is so excited. I was preaching the trees. I was preaching to chipmunks. I was just Anybody that would come in, I I, I was just, I was just stirred up. And that's what, uh, that's what it looked like when I was walking into college. Mm
0: -hmm. And that fire is still, still burning.
1: Brighter than it was 17 years ago.
0: And that's awesome. Come (laughs) on. Yes. So, um, you went to, uh, was that divinity school or? No,
1: this was just actually a small Bible college. We had like 60 students, real small Bible college in Dunn, North Carolina.
0: Okay. So, I, you have to help me understand, I don't, uh, people in the ministry, I know they go through certain uh, stages of uh, education. So you were in a Bible college and then yes. you go to seminary.
1: Yes. Sem- uh, so like seminary a lot of times is, is a term used for more of like the, the graduate level work in church or divinity. And so my, the Bible college we went to was a small Bible college with more practical degrees. That college was really built for preachers and worship leaders within a denomination mm-hmm. uh, but they took anybody um, they 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 took that's where I met my wife amber but uh, we we graduated there I, I graduated there with an associate's degree but then the Lord moved Amber and I from there to Regent University and that's where we kind of went more into deeper seminary work
0: mm-hmm. and now you're pursuing your doctorate
1: mm-hmm. right yes sir yep mm-hmm. I went um I finished regent we ended up doing a master's. My wife did two masters at Regent. We graduated there. We go full time church ministry stuff for five years, and now I went back in several years ago for a doctorate at this at Regent at the same university.
0: Mm-hmm. And how how long before you you wrapped that up, Dina? You
1: know? Oh, I'm 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 so close. Um, I finished all my classes. I'm four and a half years into my doctorate right now, mm-hmm. so I'm actually writing a dissertation. Ironically, on the nature of addiction and the parallel between chemical addiction and addiction to ministry and work.
0: Yeah, so that'll segue right into where I where I want to land this. Um, so, you, we're, we're not far away from calling you Doctor Thornton <laughs> now. Um, and congratulations! And I'm I'm really honored to to have this conversation with you, but. Want to spend the last part of our conversation talking about just some of the things that the Lord has has showed you through this process of knowing about your own addiction, mm. um, and and how how that's connected to what you're talking about with addiction and ministry and uh, just just addiction in general, the way our our minds are wired. Yes, you know, because I, I mentioned to you before we started recording that. Some of the things the Lord has shown me is how how Satan has kind of held hostage our the the pleasure centers of our brain those dopamine hits those um, you know when we talk about sex addiction addiction and how you know Satan has manipulated that into mm. pornography addictions and things yeah. like that so give us give us a little bit about that dissertation and what you've learned
1: Sure um, absolutely I'm writing this work on basically four different stages of addiction that I've walked through and been freed of. So obviously the first one, chemicals and drugs. So from alcohol, extreme alcohol to cocaine, heroin, all those things. Um, the second stage is sex. What you mentioned, sexual addiction to sex is not talked about enough. Um, it's huge. Um, I, I got addicted to porn when I was 10. This is before internet. Mm-hmm. was around. I mean, you know, wh- what our kids are working with today is, is so difficult. But but that and then the third one is work addiction and ministry addiction. You can be addicted to ministry or your work or career and it's just as damaging, if not more, sometimes than if it was the heroin. Mm-hmm. And, and then the last one, food, um, food, I, 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 I lost taking care of myself. I love to eat. I've always loved food. I'm half Italian, but in ministry traveling so much, I, I didn't take care of myself and I found myself really excessively eating, eating a lot and weighing a lot. I had some physical problems that really woke me up and was like, I got to get this back under control. Uh, so through that, just changing my diet, uh, exercise, But the whole point is I learned that, God, there's an addiction to uh, food as well. One of the major things that I'm learning about addiction, the more I study it, research it, think about it in my own life, is what we were sharing earlier. I've come to this conclusion. Addiction and the nature of addiction is not so much about substances, substance abuse. It is an identity issue. Addiction is an identity issue. Substances are only the bait. It's only the draw that gets us there. The deeper rooted issue is validating our own self-worth, self-satisfaction, uh, our own approval and acceptance. Uh, you could fill in the blank. That's why people can become addicted to anything. Uh, we, we are not long from seeing the days where rehabs are built for iPhone users Mm-hmm. Because people are addicted to iPhones and social media. Um, we're not long from the days of rehab centers being built, not for addicts, but for pastors and leaders in the church, for career executives who become so addicted to the what they do in their ministry or, or their work that they actually need to go through a rehabilitation process to get whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole point of that in what I'm writing, what I'm discovering is that it is addiction is an identity issue. So if we never get that healed, we'll always be opened and being susceptible to being addicted to anything. Mm-hmm. But if we could see a full wholeness and a healing and alignment in who we are, our identity, and we're, we're content with who we are and that in that place, then addiction will less likely have a hold on us.
0: hmm I told you about helping my brother and and his struggle with alcohol
1: Mm.
0: and it and what you said about the it being an identity issue Mm. I remember one night I before he went into detox I I told him I said and I I understood how how it felt as as knowing what addiction feels like and you know this Mike when you're addicted to something and I am in this case I'm talking about a substance I told my brother I said man I know the reason you're hesitating to go into recovery is because you don't think that you can be you without alcohol. Mm-hmm. Your whole identity is caught up into the person that you've become that's or that it. you feel when you're, when you're drinking, Ooh. when you, and for, for me, it was, it was pills for for somebody else's maybe crack cocaine or it could be food. Or, you don't feel like you can be you without that. And that's exactly what, what you've, what yes, you're, you're showing here. Yes. And uh man, that's is that that's unbelievable? That is, that's good.
1: Th- here's one more I'd love to give one more example here on this. So being someone who's come through addiction to chemicals and drugs and recovery from it, and then also being someone now who's come out of addiction to ministry. How did I get addicted to ministry? Gosh, I never thought that thing could be possible. I'm just following God's plan for my life. Now, I've been free from drugs, alcohol for, you know, what, 14, 15 plus years. I've been in ministry that long or a little bit longer. Well, what I realized is that when I moved to Greenville, South Carolina two years ago, I, uh, I, I came out of a different environment and I went into a season of rest, but really a long sabbatical, 12 week rest. And it was in that rest time. Um, God began to speak really clearly to me, Matthew. And he said, I'm actually putting you into a time of recovery. When he spoke that to me, I said, recovery. Well, I know what that means because I came out of drugs, and alcohol, but wait a minute, I've not been using it for years. What, what are you, what are you getting at? Jesus, you're saying I'm addicted. And he's saying, yeah, you're addicted to ministry. You've become addicted to your own calling
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I need to deliver you from it. I need to, I need to release you from that. And so that started me on a process of being healed from addiction to ministry. So you're probably asking, what does addiction to ministry or even work look like? For me, and it could look different, but for me, what happened was I began to get addicted to the praise, the responses, and the reactions of the people I was called to lead and serve. So the more, Mike, that was a powerful message. Man, God used you mightily. You know, you don't even think about those things. You know, you thank you, thank you, Jesus, it's God, it's not me. Over time, over years, that feeds into an insecurity or personality. Mm -hmm. And what begins to happen is we become addicted to that and that becomes the measurement of our success. So your approval of me, your response of me based on what I'm doing now becomes the way I measure my success or I measure my own self-worth. So now what happens is God takes me out of that environment and puts me in a place where that's not happening. And people are not praising me and people are not responding to me. And I'm just almost in this normal state. Well, wait a minute. All of a sudden now these cravings start coming out of my soul because like I just have this ache to be approved or accepted by my peers. Well, that's not being met. What's happened is I've been addicted to them and God is now starving that addiction. He's starving that out. So the recovery process for me coming out of addiction to ministry was identical to the recovery process of me coming out of crack cocaine. That's when I knew addiction is a personality or excuse me, identity issue that really God has to do the trauma work. And what that again looks like, if I can make it real clear, it's the measurement. So it's how we measure. So I was measuring my self-worth and validation based on the people around me. Mm -hmm. Some people do it differently. Some people measure their self-worth based on their leader or people in authority or their favorite person. And that person has to feed their self-worth. That becomes the metric that they're doing good, that they're a good person. And what the Lord does is he reroutes that stuff and he wants to give us a new metric Based on his approval of who we are, who said, who he says we are. And that metric to me looks like contentment. It looks like, you know what? I, I need to be content whether somebody's praising me or not, whether I'm recognized or not, whether I'm on a stage or whether I'm cleaning out a trash can, whether I'm working here or I'm working there. If I'm a father, whatever it is, I want to be fully content. And that contentment to me is a measurement. It's a mark that addiction doesn't have a hold on us anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. I think a simple prayer uh, to the people that are listening to this, and and what what Mike is sharing, and what it speaks to me is that one of the things that I pray is that Lord, I want to be the man that you created me to be. Mm. I don't. It's not important for me to be the husband to my wife, or the father to my kids, or the brother to Mike or anybody else because I know mm. I have to know that I have. I, I need to be who God has called me to be and who He says that I am because if I'm that. And I'll be the husband. I'll be the father. I'll be the brother. I'll be whatever I need to be, as long as I'm what, what he's called me to be. Yeah. Everything else is it flows through that that vessel, right? So good. I yeah. do want to ask one question. I had it wrote down. Yeah. I, I don't want to leave this out. Um, when I confirmed with you last week that we would we would set aside this date to do this podcast, earlier that day, I had somebody reach out to me that had listened to one of my podcasts um and I struggled to answer a question mm-hmm. that this person asked me and I yeah I have a hard time articulating some 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 of the thoughts I have it kind of figured out in my brain but I, w- I want to get your thoughts sure um this person found recovery through 12 steps and the comment was and I'm paraphrasing I I found recovery in the 12 steps not so much god and then the person said I've been to church and all that, and I always, I always get emotional. I always cry when I'm there. Um, but it's also confusing hmm. to me. You know, I'm happy in my recovery, but I, there was part of me that just knew, and when they were talking about it, that they had such a curiosity about it because my response was, "Well, our ministry is designed to, you know, share testimony when people have have come through addiction." addiction and been redeemed through, through Jesus. And um, how, how would you kind of answer that question mm-hmm. to that person that says, well, I got, re- I found recovery through my addiction through the 12 steps and, and all that. But I, this whole God thing is just confusing to me.
1: Absolutely. The program that I went to had a, had a motto and it was a Christ centered solution for drugs and alcohol, a Christ centered solution to drugs and alcohol. And I realized coming out of there that I think every guy in that program would agree with me. (laughs) You go into the program with the goal of, I want to be sober Mm -hmm. pretty much. I mean, we're all, we're all there in rehab because we have one common denominator we've used and we're addicted. (sighs) But as you go through for me, I realized that was my goal going in But it wasn't the goal, and the goal was Jesus. The goal was a personal relationship with him. The addiction part of it was just what he used as bait on the hook for fishing to draw me in. So what I'm saying is I realized sobriety wasn't the goal. He was. Mm -hmm. When he became the goal, my sobriety became not just full and complete, but it became so much more... Because more peace, purpose in my life. Some, some folks, and I, and I understand that question. I got a lot of friends that have went through similar different programs. The sad part that I watch is that they white knuckle it for a while, but they're really not happy. Yeah, they're sober, but they're still not happy. Still don't know their purpose in life. Still trying to figure out life. And um, a lot of times, I'm not, I'm not trying to put this on anybody, but a lot of times statistically, it's not sustainable over a long period of time and so uh, most people that that try to either white knuckle or they do some steps outside of a personal relationship with God uh, the the statistics uh, long term a lot of them don't fail they are they, a lot of them fail in the relapse is what I'm saying. The program that I went to, Matthew this is unbelievable we had the highest success rate in the state of North Carolina at that time faith-based and secular programs. Guess what the success rate was? One out of 17. One out of 17 made it sober, long-term care. The other 16 failed and relapsed, went to drugs. And that was the most successful rate out of every state and secular and faith-based institution in the, the early 2000s. Wow. In North Carolina. Again, statistics showing that you can try to walk with it through steps. And we love these steps. We love some of these programs. They're great. There's great things in recovery for them. But what I'm saying, long-term for sustainability, man, Jesus is the way. That, that personal relationship, your faith is what's going what's gonna to help you through. I want to, one last thing. I'll end with this. There's a group of guys I've stayed connected with that we've made it long-term recovery. Um, you know, there's decades of recovery over, over substances. I got together with them and I decided, what do we all have in common? What helped keep us clean? And we narrowed it down. We came up with three things that we all had in common. The first one was we never stopped building a personal relationship with God reading the word, quiet time and prayer. All of us who made it long-term had that same common denominator. The second thing was we were involved in a local church or a community. We had accountability. We were in local church, local community. Third thing was we were in some way engaged in service to the community. We were giving back. We were giving out. All of us have those three common denominators. I believe those are huge insights to help sustain recovery um, that I found. But again, it floored me that it was our personal faith in him that we all had in common that kept us kept us really sustainable in our recovery. I don't think you have that. A program can't sometimes facilitate long-term recovery is what I'm saying.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good, Mike. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, so just to wrap it up, um, I think that the the message here uh, and, and the answer to that question is that with this ministry and this podcast is aimed at pointing towards, uh, Jesus and in, in your recovery, Jesus pulled us across the finish line and he's keeping us yeah. across the finish line yeah. with him. Mike, I, I really appreciate you taking the time <laughs> to, to do this today. Um,
1: this it, was powerful. man. It was,
0: it, it was, it turned out when we asked God to come <laughs> into this conversation, he, he came, he came he in, didn't up he? Um, and he's, uh, he, he did some work and, I told Mike before we hit record, I said, I I don't, I don't even have an outline. I don't have a plan. Uh, We're just going to let God just Mm. uh, put the words in our mouth to to share with, with the audience. So uh, again, thank you, Mike. um, And God bless you. you, man.
1: Absolutely. Matthew. Thank you so much. It was awesome.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast i hope it touched you in a special way i encourage all of you who are listening to ask god to help you overcome the strongholds of your addiction and i promise you he will answer and for those of you who are in recovery i hope that this gives you encouragement to continue to fight through the temptation of having any thought of going back to your previous life it does get better in the days ahead please don't forget to subscribe to our channel so you get notified when we post new content And if you feel so inclined, leave us some feedback. I'm always interested to know how we are helping and understand how we can make this a better experience. Thank you, and God bless you.